Hello, and welcome to the Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. I am your host, Blaine Bartlett, and a real quick overview of the podcast, just so you've got some orientation as to what we're talking about on this program. Um, it's my bias that everything in the world, literally everything in the universe, has a source that ennobles it, enlivens it, uh, actually brings it into being. And I mention this not from any kind of religious bias or anything else. It just seems to be the way nature works, that there is, there's, a, there's a core that is expressed through form. And that core is what I'm interested in, that, that, that germ, that, that spark that brings life into being. Uh, creativity, innovation, all uh, is, is sourced out of that in my experience and in my, in my opinion. Um, businesses are no different. And it's been my experience over 40 years or so of working with businesses, both as an entrepreneur, um, but also as a consultant and an executive coach uh, around the world. I've literally you know, taught over 300,000 people and I've touched over a million people in the course of my business work. And one thing has become fairly obvious to me is that most organizations on this planet have drifted away from that soul, that spirit that actually was the sounding, or the, the founding source of, of it to begin with. It was the inspiration for the business. And the podcast that uh, we're engaged with here is an exploration of what does it mean to actually be connected to the source, to the spirit of business, to the soul of business, but also if uh, there is a disconnection, how do we come back to it? You know, and what's the advantage of coming back to it? So I've invited guests from all over the world, from all kinds of different disciplines to have conversation about that. And today is no different. Um, I've got a very good friend of mine um, joining us today that has got a very eclectic background, uh, not just in business, but uh, in life. Uh, and his, his biography actually speaks for itself here, and I do want to touch on it a little bit here, because in my experience, um, although he says that himself in his uh, biography, he is truly a Renaissance man in what that actually involves. Um, interdisciplinary, uh, curious, uh, deep in terms of not just skipping the surface on things. He actually goes deep into the different disciplines that he's uh, in, in found himself um, curating and involved with. So uh, I'll just very briefly read uh, pieces of his interview, uh, his interview, his uh, uh, resume, his CV. Uh, Bruce Cryer, uh, again, an old friend, a dear friend. Um, at age 15, this is fascinating. He sang in the choir for Duke Ellington and by 19 was playing the boy in the world's longest running musical, The uh, Fantastics, and in a run lasting more than 800 performances, 800 performances. He performed in Shakespeare in the Park, ran an art business, and was a founding member of ODC, the San Francisco's premier dance company. And if you've ever been to one of their... Uh, uh, Shows, I mean, they are an amazing organization, an amazing dance company. He was founding director and later the CEO of the acclaimed HeartMath organization and was named top 50 thought leaders in personal excellence. 
And we're going to circle back and have a conversation about HeartMath in just a moment uh, with Bruce about this because it's a fascinating organization and his work there was absolutely seminal in some of the things that have actually occurred both with that organization but what's happened in business as a consequence of that. Uh, his article, Pull the Plug on Stress, was published twice in the Harvard Business Review, and he's been an adjunct professor, uh, faculty member at Stanford University since 1997, and that's a pretty long run in and of itself. He's the co-author of From Chaos to Coherence, The Power to Change Performance, and a number of uh, scientific articles on stress and performance. Again, we'll circle back to HeartMath as a conversational uh, anchor on some of that. Some of the clients he's worked with, uh, Kaiser Permanente, Mayo Clinic, NASA, Shell, Unilever, J&J, you know, Johnson & Johnson, Stanford Business School, and the uh, National uh, Health Society, NHS. Yeah. After surviving cancer, he is a, a cancer survivor and, and various staph infections, along with a double hip replacement, he began a renaissance in his personal creativity. And this is one of the reasons I invited him to be on uh, this, this uh, episode uh, today. His newest project is Renaissance Human, a creative vehicle for individuals to reach their fullest creative potential. And this taps directly into what I'm interested in, which is the spirit of business, the spirit of life, uh, his album of original songs, and he is a songwriter as well as an uh, accomplished musician, is entitled Renaissance Human, and it was released in the spring of 2018, and he uh, consults currently with a number of performing arts organizations in New York City. I'm exhausted just reading that, and uh, I'm enthralled and intrigued to have Bruce Cryer as my guest today. So, Bruce, Welcome. <laughs> thank you, Blaine. Uh, I'm, I'm exhausted too, frankly. I think I need a nap. But uh, thank you for actually such a lovely, a lovely introduction. And you, you have been such a great friend through the leadership group that you and I are part of, plus just the conversations along the way in life uh, that have occurred, um, fortunately. So thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, and he mentions a group that he and I are both affiliated with in the spirit of full disclosure. It's the Transformational Leadership Council. And it's a collection of you know, misfits and uh, <laughs> uh, scientists, wow. uh, artists, uh, business leaders uh, that are interested in the nature of transformation in the leadership domain. And Bruce has been a seminal member of that. And this is also you know, part of uh, why I wanted to have him uh, join us today. So the idea of business having a soul, um, thoughts on that? Yeah, well, you, you've had some experience uh, along this, this line of inquiry. So, you know, why don't we just open it up from there and see where the conversational thread kind of goes? Yeah, uh, well, I think sometimes you can prove a point by recognizing the opposite. So I think we've all experienced businesses that clearly had no soul. <laughs> and you think, oh, my God, what is going on? How long are they going to last? There is nothing human or warm-hearted or... Uh, humane around this organization but yeah, I believe absolutely they have a soul and uh, I think that's it's fascinating to think about the soul that starts an organization the inception the the vision and the, the kind of life that's being breathed into something as it's starting and then how that soul is transformed in ways and sometimes lost along the way and then got back at a certain point when the founders come back or where they they realize you know it's time to get back to what we're really good at we've kind of gone off a little bit from the core of who we really are the soul of who we are i think it's 
wonderful to even be thinking in those terms. I think business owners and entrepreneurs and, and, and people who work in any kind of organization, really, it's a, it's a deep question to ponder. Is there, what is the soul of this place? Is it a bit hollow? Is it a bit vacant? Is it expansive? Is it warm? Is it loving? Is it um, stuck in, in old patterns? You know, wh where, where's the soul at? I think it's a lovely uh, thing to ponder and, and then to be able to work with. Well, you know, along that vein, you know, the old aphorism, the eyes are the gateway to the soul, uh, sort of a thing here. Um, your work with heart math, and it's an interesting word. Uh, for those of you that may not be familiar with the company, HeartMath, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the origins of the, the title of the company, but also uh, the idea of heart being kind of the center of the soul in, in one sense here. Organizations have a heart. They have a spirit. And when we talk about spirit, you know, we often talk about the heart of something. Uh, you know, in athletics, you know, the person's got a strong heart. They're actually talking about the spirit. Um, of, of that individual that's you know, kind of sourced from that place. Um, the research that was done at HeartMath, and you were CEO for how long? 11 years. 11 years, yeah. So you, yeah, you were kind of in at the beginning and helped build that organization in a fundamentally profound way. So I'd like to explore a little bit with you, uh, and I know that there's all kinds of other areas that we can you know, move into here, but I'm interested here in What's the uh, impetus for the research work that HeartMath does and did back then when you were involved with them uh, relative to this conversation about tapping into the soul of life, the soul of business, and the soul of an individual? Yeah, so we got about three hours to answer that question. <laughs> uh, you know, great, great, great question. Well, to try to essence that, HeartMath believed, the founder of HeartMath, Doc Childry, who I've known for going on 40 years now, and has been a deep friend and mentor to me for many, many years. Uh, his profound insight before HeartMath even began as an organization was that civilizations, human society today, by and large, with pockets of exception, by and large, had forgotten the power of the heart. And so you look at organizations and they say, leave your heart at the door. Don't bring it. You'll, you'll make a bad decision if you try to make decisions from your heart. You know, we're, we're advised against uh, heart in all kinds of ways. We're, we're taught to believe heart doesn't have uh, this, the qualities of courage or intuition or wisdom that for, for millennia, humanity believed. Every major religion is bounded upon the idea the heart is central. The sacred heart in Christianity, in Buddhism, the compassion heart. Uh, there's, there's dozens of references in the Quran about the importance of the heart. Anyway, you, I could go on. Yeah. And so there was a feeling that there was a, a huge lack in our society today of this awareness and this appreciation of the true nature of the heart. And therefore, people were not satisfied. Organizations were not satisfied. There was something massive and missing. And look at the health condition of, of the planet. Guess what's the number one killer on the planet? Heart disease. Yep. Heart. Hmm, I wonder if there's a connection. So that was kind of the, some of the initial impetus. So originally we wanted to just prove out that there is something much more fundamental about the heart's role in human system, biologically, emotionally, mentally, cognitively, than had been believed. So we kind of started there. But fairly soon after proving out certain ways that the heart in fact is highly intelligent, sending highly important information to the brain 24 seven, 
processing information, has its own neural network in the heart itself. All kinds of things were learned in the early 90s, which kind of shocked a lot of people and shocked the scientific world to some degree. From there, we said, well, you know, well, what about the impact on organizations? Because as you said so beautifully, Blaine, businesses have a soul and they need to understand the soul. And you know, to what degree is the heart present in a business? And how well are we listening from the heart with compassion for one another, for customers, for, for, for vendors, for whoever? So HeartMath, after a few years of kind of doing kind of basic and clinical research more on the human system as a, as a solo person, then began to look at, well, what about when we're interacting as teams or even as one-on-one -on -one people? And what about the organizational dynamics? And when, when we used to call it the emotional virus can spread through a team or through an organization that's just as contagious as a real one, but can be far more devastating. The emotional virus of excess competition, of, of anxiety, of paranoia, of, of hyper-competition, you know, whatever it may be, these uh, kind of viruses. So, I mean, I think as we grew, we, we realized there's a profound truth to the fact that the heart, as you say, is kind of the, the portal for spirit. That's my view of how human mm -hmm. beings are. Our spirit emanates from, through our heart. We experience it in our heart. Yeah. And, and organizations have a spirit and have a heart. And some of those hearts are, are weak and tired and frail and, and needing to be energized and needing some CPR or whatever. Right. But, we began to really explore that too through psychometric tools and through sometimes biomeasure, uh, biomeasure, biometrics, et cetera, to look at how could we improve the health of the organization, both culturally as well as even physically the health of the, of the organization. And, and that's important you know, for this reason, for me. Um, and listeners to the, uh, this podcast have heard me say this more than once. Uh, business is the most pervasive force on the planet. I mean, there is nothing that touches the consequence of businesses' activities. And if businesses aren't healthy, and I mean healthy in a heart sense, in a connected sense, um, the rest of the planet and everything on it begins to be compromised. And unfortunately, in my experience, many organizations are not healthy. They have not attended to their heart, uh, their soul in a, in a, in a, uh, in any kind of concerted way. They've just you know, been focused on, as many people are, on activity rather than heart health, on, you know, than on soul health. You know, I'm, I'm struck by something out of, um, I think it was Shakespeare, actually, the, um, you know, speak from the heart. You know, the, the, and and I, I've heard this in a number of different poetry uh, recitals, too. You know, you, know, you want somebody to speak from the heart. Physiologically, I, I stumbled across this in some of the work I was doing uh, in preparation for a lecture I gave at the University of Colorado uh, School of Medicine. Uh, the heart develops first in the fetus. It's the first organ that is developed. Second organ that develops is the tongue, and it comes out of the same imago cells, the same cellular structure as the heart. So literally, there is a physical connection between the heart and the tongue. So speaking from the heart is actually more than an aphorism it actually has a very interesting physiological connection, uh, which I think is just fascinating in terms of its metaphoric impact, but also just in terms of its practical impact. You know, when we speak disconnectedly, when we act disconnectedly uh, from that source, from that spirit, from that first thing that was developed, we, we pay a price. We pay a huge price. Well, I noticed that, that you didn't mention the brain either in the number one or number two position which is also true. And yeah. there's some 
research that suggests that it's the electrical signal of the heart starting to beat in that fetus, which is the on switch telling the brain cells, which are not yet formed into a brain, to start to become what they're supposed to become. It, it needs that signal, but the heart's got to be there. If, if there's not a heart beating, yep. the brain develop. There, there's a life here. There's a spark. And, it's, and I use the word spark. I mean, it is an electromagnetic. It's an electrical response. It's a switch. And it's triggered by that soul, that's that soul, yeah, that heart. You know, we can go back and forth, you know, with with the language here, but yeah, the brain doesn't develop until much later on, relatively speaking. Yeah, and yeah, that that, that is fascinating. And when we look at the governance pr you know, principles in business, uh, we attribute a lot of. Uh, energy and resources to the brain of the organization, you know, the, the cognition, the, the tactic, the strategy, and, and we neglect the most important part, uh, which is unfortunate, uh, and it can be remedied. <laughs> so and I think heart math, heart math you know, it, as you said earlier, it's an, it's an interesting name, and heart and math don't normally appear in the same sentence, let alone the same word, and the founder has got a great way with words and loves to kind of mess up your perception sometimes. So math was meant to describe kind of the, the one plus one equals two aspect of life, like the common sense aspect of life, not the algebraic equations or, you know, or a higher calculus. In other words, his view is that the heart is the soul of the human being. And, but we aren't taught that. We're not, we're not, that's not reinforced. We're re, what's reinforced is the mind is everything, the brain is everything. The brain is ridiculously exceptional. There's no question about that. We're learning more all the time. So it's like bow down to the brain. But there's this other order of, of, of other thing in the hierarchy also known as the heart. And so um, I think part of the beauty of heart math was this, this juxtaposition of if we want to live from the heart, we also need a step-by-step system. We need to kind of activate our common sense, our intuition that says, well, if I do this, then that's going to happen. If I do that, then that's going to happen. You know, so that's kind of the math in a simple sense. And another way that he would put it, Dr. Childry would put it, was there have been many systems for millennia that kind of talk about the sky, you know, ascending and being better than ourselves and, and enlightenment and many, many things. And I'm not poo-pooing any of that. But the talk in very elevated ways, many of those systems have a, have a difficulty for some people coming down to the street. How do you actually practically do that day by day? It's right. One, it's one one thing to have a wonderful meditation on a mountaintop on retreat. And if you're like, oh my God, I've got to hold on to this tomorrow morning. You know, Monday when I'm back in the office, and you know, Monday you're back in the office, and he's, how was your weekend? Uh, I don't remember. <laughs> I'm, I'm completely socked into my deadlines right now. So, you know, the, the heart math was meant to be a way to bring sky to street. So those insights that we can have in meditation or walking on the beach or in a conversation with someone, we have a way to manifest and sustain those through techniques to get us out of the stress zone back into the, that intelligence of the heart. And so Perfect. it's always meant to be a very practical system that can deal with really practical stuff, being late for a meeting, uh, worrying about your finances, stuff where people live. And because that blocks us from being in contact with the flow of our spirit and the flow of our heart, that stuff does, right? We've all experienced that. Yeah. Every one of us. Billionaires have experienced that. So uh, it's a profound, I think it's a profound insight how Doc thought of both the name itself, Heart Math, mm -hmm. as well as the kind of the bigger philosophy in a way of what we were trying to do to bring it down to a system that anybody could 
learn and use. Right, and I think that that is part of the magic. And I, yeah, I've used HeartMath's uh, technologies for years uh, uh, in my own practice and in, in my own life. Uh, I'm interested here in your latest project, the Renaissance Human. Um, that's an interesting migration um, from being a CEO to which was very practical, very pragmatic in the, in the work that you did with HeartMath to actually codify how to bring sky to ground, uh, so to speak, uh, is still paying enormous dividends. Uh, I've introduced the HeartMath products and programs into an, just about every client I work with uh, in some way, shape, or form because of its practicality. I'm interested here now in that migration for you personally, th this whole notion of a Renaissance human. Um, speaks to me in part about being able to access that that spirit in an ongoing basis and one way that i think about it is that you know innovation creativity imagination kind of lives at the threshold of the spirit and if i'm looking at it from the through the lens of renaissance uh uh you know discovery creativity curiosity deep diving um, accessing that imaginal quality the imagination seems to be absolutely foundational to that process as a Renaissance human. You want to talk a little bit about that? Cause I know that's your current passion. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it started because as you did in your introduction, um, I started a few years ago when I was starting to get back into singing more and, and actually I could find having titanium hips allowed me to dance again. <laughs> I thought I wouldn't be able to dance. I thought I'd be at least out of pain, but not necessarily fluid enough to dance, but nope, I could dance. And meanwhile, I was getting into digital photography and just exploring the creative side of myself much more than I had for quite a few years because I'd been CEO. Uh, and so people started to refer to me as a Renaissance man. At first, it was like, what? And then I realized, oh, Renaissance man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is the first time in my life I've ever done it all at the same time. I was only an actor and singer and dancer in New York for that five or so years of my life. Then as I moved west and got into business, most of the artistic stuff gradually fell away and then I was pretty much only in business. And it was very satisfying work. Much of it was. I'm not yeah. putting it down at all. But there was this other part of me that was needing to be reborn, have, have its own renaissance, which was a more creative, expressive soul. And so I started singing again and got in, in partnership with an old college roommate of mine, Gary Malkin, who I know you know as yep. well, Blaine. And Gary and I started a project called What Makes Your Heart Sing. And in fact, I know you saw his performance on and uh, it, it gave me tremendous joy to be in to have to rehearse for something instead of just plan for something. And when sometimes a client would say to me, are you, are you free on Friday at three? I said, oh man, I'm rehearsing. And there was just something I was kind of gloating about being able to say, I'm rehearsing than <laughs> just having a meeting. But as I kind of got deeper into it over the last several years, and then I was approached to do an album by these amazing men in the Brothers Corin. Brothers Corin, yes, beautiful men, yeah. Amazing amazing guys. Um, you know, this Renaissance spirit just kind of became more and more alive. And then, as you said, I, I decided to call the album Renaissance Human. And as I ponder this, because I'm now working on a book, a collective book uh, around this, several authors contributing. Um, part of what I think, why I love the word Renaissance is not only because of, as you beautifully said, it's associated with wonder and curiosity and learning and all, but it literally means rebirth. Yep. Now, I think of rebirth as not going back to you know, reliving my original birth, but rather giving birth as, as I go through life, that, we, yeah. that life process of continuing to give birth to new sides of ourselves, new parts of ourselves that 
maybe weren't ready to be born until I'd gone through cancer, staph infections, double hip replacement, the death of my mother. You know, it, maybe I couldn't have borne some of those things until something had to really shake and, and things could come alive. But many of us, we just we, we give birth to new things. So to me, all human beings are what I call Renaissance humans. Our nature is to birth new things as we go through life. Sometimes that does mean a, sh a shedding of the old skin, like the, the, yeah. the chrysalis and the butterfly. In other cases, it's more like moving on, You're giving birth to a new thing, and it's not like you've really lost that much from, from before. And I believe, I love that you, you think of it in terms of a spark of creation. That's exactly how I think of it, that we are programmed, human beings, all of us, every, every living thing on the planet actually has the, the power to create life. Yep. Now, there's, I can't think of anything much more creative than the power to create life. So if every single human being is designed with the power to create life, whether or not we ever have a child is not the point. The energy of creation, the energy that wants to contribute and has yep. an urge to create situations, create homes, create businesses, create poetry, create solutions. Uh, I think one of the things that I emphasize in this work now is I'm doing it, teaching programs around it and whatnot, and, and mentoring people about it is that we, I think as a society, we've made the mistake in calling certain people the creatives. Yes. Meaning, well, they, they've got artistic skill, they're designers, so therefore they are the creative ones. I'm saying, and I'm saying, not at all. I mean, I'm happy that I have certain, I, I love some of the things that I love to do, or I wouldn't, I wouldn't do them. And, and they happen to be fairly public. People can hear me sing, they can watch me dance, they can see the photography that I do, whatever. Other people are incredibly creative, but it's more behind the scenes. They're the problem solvers. They're the ones that are the super valuable employees in your own company, because they're the ones that you know, they're gonna figure out how to handle this, this situation gracefully. So my point is, that is just as important aspect of creativity yes yeah. a poem a dance a song a piece of art and so my belief is that the energy of of creation is is encouraged for some people by their parents by their schooling by their family and friends but it was but it's been discouraged for tons of people it has and, and, in, and in organizations it's often thwarted it's often thwarted too right i mean yeah. you're hired for your sales skill you're hired for your design skill and you're told stick to your design you're a great designer but don't be talking to let the ops people do their job. Well, right. sure, I understand that to a degree, but wait a minute, the, the creative answer might be with the designer, so why are you shutting that down? Yeah. Because you know, I think we've got to be open to, everybody's got this energy to contribute and, and it's been shut down so much that organizations can't thrive because you walk around with all these people that are kind of half people that haven't been encouraged to give it a try, risk, express. Yep, that's absolutely spot on. I mean, I, and I love the way that you position that. Uh, and you know, when organizations squish by putting in you know, people in containers and silos and you know, departments and say, okay, this is where you belong, to your point, it, it actually divorces from that natural creative uh, font. Uh, that desire to express, that desire to grow, that desire to be more. And I mean, you, you are, I think, a, a perfect exemplar of what is possible. And I say this you know, with all due you know, respect and humility here, because I look at what you've done, the different phases of your life, the, the magical ways that you've actually progressed and migrated through what you know, would have stopped a lot of people. Uh, and uh, that 
continual urge to grow, to express, to explore, is what is, uh, I think, necessary for capitalism right now. Um, and I say this in this sense. You know, it's been my experience, again, that most organizations are held captive by their history. And that history informs their assumption of what's possible in the future. And I don't think the capitalistic model is any uh, different from that right now. It's been an incredibly successful model. And it's reached a point where uh, it has, in many ways, become cancerous. Um, and I say that from the sense of you know, consumption, production, as the uber goals, uh, which is essentially a definition of... Uh, uh, of cancer is, is unrestrained growth at all costs. It, 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 yeah, it uh, exhausts resources. Life doesn't do that. Healthy life doesn't do that. Healthy life does grow, but it looks for growth in different ways. It looks for expression in different ways. Uh, it recognizes that there's a cycle, that there's a, there's, a, there's a plateau that I can build upon, but if I continue to try to leverage that plateau, things go off the rails. And that's the invitation, I think, for many uh, business leaders and business owners is to be willing to continuously examine where are we today in terms of our ability to connect to that source and you know, paying attention to the consequence of the decisions that we're making. Are they in service of an old archaic model uh, that have served us well, or are they in service of a new way of living, a new way of life, a new way of expressing? So that's my soapbox you know, piece of this, <laughs> of today's podcast. Yeah. Uh, but um, you articulate it well. Right What's that again? I was going to say, I'll jump right up there on the, on the um, soapbox with you. I, I think that's beautifully said. I, I also find interesting that as I work with different executives and different organizations, business groups, et cetera, a lot of executives secretly have more creative exploits and pursuits than they let on. You know, there are a lot of a lot of them that I've discovered. They secretly have been doing mindfulness, but didn't want to tell anybody. Yeah. Or they 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 play a guitar, but nobody knows about it. Or they they they're taking an art class with their wife, but they didn't want to admit it because it would seem less than manly or less than CEO CEO-ish or whatever. So you, you have people that actually are living out what we're talking about. They're already exploring different sides of themselves, partly because yeah, they they're super busy, but they also have uh, some money to be able to try some things and an inclination. You know what? I'm going to take advantage of this position I'm in and I'm going to try this and we're going to go there. We're going to, we're going to do a cooking tour of Tuscany, you know, well, that's exploring your creative side too. So if many yeah. of these people are actually living in a way that they're not encouraging their own people to do and right. their own life. And so that's part of the, I think a disconnect uh, in many organizations feel like, Hey, hey wait a minute. Why is the, why are the people in the C-suite kind of getting all the perks and, and seemingly living in a different context, not just being wealth. Well, you know, it, you know, in that vein, you know, one of Gallup's you know, questions when they do their uh, employee engagement work is how often or how frequently do you get to do what you love to do in the organization? And most organizational respondents say not much at all. Um, as a matter of fact, most organizations don't even encourage people to do what they love to do within the organizational domain. Uh, it's kind of like, no, you've got a job. I pay you to do this. That's what I want you to do. Um, and I, and 
this goes back in history a bit, but Lockheed Skunk Works, uh, and, and use you know, the Skunk Works is just kind of a metaphor here. 3M did the same thing. There are organizations that encourage people to explore, to kind of take some time. Google does this famously. Uh, what is it that you know, kind of wakes you up in the morning? What, kind, you know, what would you love to do? And why don't you devote a portion of your time, we'll pay you to do this, to encourage that little project. It may have some uh, benefit. Yeah, so what we're doing as an organization, but it's certainly going to have benefit on your esprit, on your spirit. You're going to love coming to work if you know that you get to do some, something around that. Yeah, that's yeah, how we can get that excess spirit. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I, I think that in, many, in certain ways, millennials are going to kind of force the issue. Yep. In my experience, in, in, a, a bunch of millennials that are close friends, uh, not just people working for me, but are close friends of mine. And I see in, in so many, you know, just uh, they just want to have a balanced life. I, yeah. When I first was kind of pondering this name, Renaissance Human, I specifically wanted to ask different millennial friends of mine, you know, when I say that, that phrase, what, what happens for you? Do, does, does it make any sense? Do, do you have any association with it? And pretty much everyone would say, it sounds cool. <laughs> they didn't even necessarily know what it meant, but it sounded cool. And then they could kind of figure it out, oh, is it kind of, kind of artsy, but it's about technology and the future and being your full, they kind of figure it out. And I think there's an energy of many millennials, probably because they don't want to be trapped in, in kind of dead end jobs that maybe they see their parents in. Yeah. Or we're in. Parents kind of not having expressed certain sides to themselves. And when they finally get around to it, when they're retiring age or whatever, they don't have the energy like when they were 25 or 30 to do some of the same things they wish they had done when they were younger. So I think some millennials are saying, like, I don't, I don't want to go that way. You know, the quality of my life matters now. My ability to have some freedom now matters now. My yeah. ability to express myself matters now. I'm not going to just put it off until way later. So I think, in a way, the message of creativity and innovation is essential now because of the generation that's, in the, that's so prominent in the workforce now mm -hmm. of, of millennials who have so many opportunities. I mean, you look at the nomadic digital culture, now of all these kids living in Thailand and Bali and having online businesses and being Instagram influencers and all of this stuff that is very much about expressing themselves now, mm -hmm. not just sticking down in one track thing and then 30 years from now having enough saved to be able to do what you really want to do. They're like, I'm not waiting. And that's a go for it. You want yeah, you want to go for it. And that's actually, I mean, I saw an interesting demographic um, the other day, a de demographic data bit, that the millennials are the largest cohort in, uh, in the economy today. They've actually outpaced uh, the baby boomers. Uh, so yeah. as a force, uh, economic force, uh, businesses today are going to ignore that impetus to do it now, to, in, you know, to, to, to be creative now, to, to actually forge a, a, a life balance now uh, at their own risk. Yeah. These, these yeah. Uh, millennials, these young, and I work with a lot of them as well in some of the coaching work I do. I, I absolutely love the energy. They remind me, honestly, Bruce, of, of myself when I was back in my 20s and I got bit by Crusader Rabbit and I was going to go out and change the world. And, uh, and I love that energy. Uh, it was creative. I, you know, I was doing stuff that nobody thought I could do. Uh, I didn't know that I couldn't do it, so I just went out and did it, and it was a lot of fun. And um, 
you know, gray beards like I have now would scratch their head in amazement. And that's my experience of working with millennials today. They're doing it now. They want to change, not, not necessarily change the world, but they want to change the experience of living in the world. And I think that's a major, major delineation point. It's, it's yeah. you know, there's, there's this uh, renaissance. I mean, rebirth in that, in that sense. You know, rebirth. I want to change the experience of being alive. And I think that's what business, and I'm going to end uh, our conversation on this note. I think the purpose of business fundamentally is to enhance the experience of being alive on this planet. That's the purpose of business. Yeah, you have to make a profit in order to be able to deliver on, on your mission. But the purpose of your business had better be to enhance the quality of being alive on this planet, not just for humans, but for every life form on this planet. Uh, and if you're doing that well, you're going to make a boatload of money because people will love interacting with you because they feel good about themselves. They feel uplifted. They feel alive. They feel as if their spirit has been touched. So how do people get in touch with you? Uh, how do they find out more about the Renaissance Human Project? Uh, what are the, uh, the particulars here? Sure. Well, um, I'm on social media. It's my name, Bruce Pryor, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on Instagram, on Twitter. Uh, I've got a Renaissance Human Facebook page, the Renaissance Human co site uh, website renaissancehuman.co not.com and uh, those those are the best places I'm I'm fairly active in those various uh, places posting new things you know I, I do public events occasionally I'll be doing one here in New York on HeartMath actually in uh, May 10th and uh, so I get I get around I get I'll be in London at the end of May doing a conference on the human hearts it's called the human heart gathering actually I'll be speaking and performing there as well Right. And Renaissance Human, of course, is an album as well. So if you look on iTunes or Amazon or Spotify or any of the digital music places, it's there. Renaissance Human, my name with the with the album name of Renaissance Human. Okay, so I'm, I'm I'm out there and I'd love to interact with people and, and uh, I love to I love to chat and love to mentor and guide and whatever I can do to help. Perfect. And for those of you going to uh, any of those sites, uh, Bruce's last name is spelled C R Y E R. Bruce Cryer. So um, this is Blaine Bartlett. You can find out more about me at blainebartlett.com uh, and the soul of business uh, with Blaine Bartlett, this podcast, uh, you're listening to it now. Uh, but if you want to share it with your friends and neighbors and cohorts and uh, anybody else that you can think of, it's available on all of the regular uh, podcast sites, uh, Spotify, iTunes, uh, C-Suite Networks, uh, you know, just kind of fill in the blankets there. Um, this is Blaine Bartlett, and you have been listening to The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. My guest today has been Bruce Cryer. Bruce, thank you again for being part of the show. It was great, Blaine. Thank you so much for the invitation. My pleasure. Thanks. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>